Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So hello and welcome to the Oral Health Foundation's Oral Health podcast. I'm Ben Atkins. I'm a dentist. I've been qualified for around about 20 years. I'm also a trustee of the Oral Health Foundation and delighted to be part of these new podcasts. We're going to be discussing current issues around oral health. This is the first of three-part series which myself and two guests will be giving a lot of good oral health advice, some of the most common pitfalls to avoid and how we can all improve our oral health of our mouths. This is the first podcast talking about gum health, what it means to have good teeth, good health, good gums, and the consequences of having unhealthy gums, and what we can all do together to achieve really good gum health. So I'm really thrilled to introduce one of my first two guests, is Dr. Nigel Carter. Dr. Carter has been the chief executive of the Oral Health Foundation for around about 22 years. Previously, a dentist based in Birmingham, he was recently awarded an OBE for services to dentistry and dental health. Hello, Nigel. Hi, Ben. It's good to be here. Secondly joining us is Dr. Saoirse O'Toole, a clinical lecturer at King's College London. Much of Saoirse's research has been focused on toothware, which we'll be talking throughout these three podcasts. Saoirse, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks very much, Ben. In this first podcast, we'll all be talking gum health, what it means, how important it is to us, what the consequences of having unhealthy gums, and what we can all do to achieve good gum health. GSK are one of the world's largest providers of specialist oral health care products. GSK help people around the world to do more, feel better and live longer. They also have some of the world's best loved oral health brands and products, such as Sensodyne, Pro Enamel and Corsodil. Visit uk.gsk.com to find out more and corsodil.co.uk. Now, before we get into gum health, this is the start of National Smile Month. This is a campaign by the Oral Health Foundation and aims to engage everybody about the importance of a healthy mouth. It's also one of the main reasons why we're doing this podcast today. So, Nigel, can you tell me more about National Smile Month? Well, we're now in our 43rd year, believe it or not, of National Smile Month, and I hate to say, but I was actually involved with the first one back in the Midlands in in the dim and distant past. And it's really grown into a major and very unique campaign aiming to promote the benefits of good oral health in a fun way. It allows for lots of activities uh, out there across the country, motivates a lot of dental teams and dental practices to get out into the community or invite the community into their practice for events. So you'll see a lot of activity going on over the next month uh, all across the country from open days in dental practices, dentists clubbing together and having exhibitions in shopping centres, visiting schools, really all 
in a fun way to promote the benefits of good oral health and the smile. And we know the smile is so important. It's, uh, it's not just about the health of our mouth, but it's also about how we do in life, how we relate to other people. Our smile is the first thing people see when they meet us. And having a nice, healthy smile um, can help us in, in getting a, a job even. Uh, so really important subject underlying it but lots of fun activities going on throughout the month what's the best activities you've seen you must have come across in 40 odd years of running the oral health well we always have a number of dentists like ourselves who uh, dress up as tooth fairies with a big mirror and probe and run through their local streets get their picture in the paper i must say they're usually male um, I don't know quite what that says about the profession, but uh, lots of fun activities. And it's just, in media terms, dentistry and oral health is not sexy. Uh, but some of the activities that go on with events during National Smile Month manage to attract the media's attention and get coverage in the media. And that's great because it brings the importance of oral health up people's agenda. So she obviously working at King's what's there's anything going on there at the moment with the students because we often find that students are really this is up their street isn't it you know this is exactly where they want to get engaged in now unfortunately they're in the middle of exams at the moment so i doubt they're thinking too much (laughs) about it um but i think it's a really nice idea to get the students involved get them into the community and it's a really nice month where they can celebrate being a dentist and being proud of their profession and getting their messages out there just a reminder to everybody like Nigel said, that a healthy smile is important. It's something that I've found, even my, my children are quite excited by the smileys and the selfies. They, well, you know what kids are like with electronic goods and they want to take smileys. With, we've taken some into the, the smileys into school and it's a real... It makes dentistry a bit more fun. It makes us approachable. Yeah. And I think anything that can break those barriers that get patients go, well, do you know what? I'm allowed to smile. I'm allowed to talk. It's a real... In, it really helps. So... There's new research between GSK and the Oral Health Foundation that's found some really interesting insights to gum disease and how we're managing them. Some of the results are, I would say, quite shocking, actually. You know, yeah, I'd agree. Like, what, 52% of half the adults in the UK have, have experienced bleeding gums. How, how do you think we can affect our patients to educate them more? Often, often patients are not aware that bleeding is actually a sign of disease. Having those conversations with our patients makes such a big difference. What have you come across in your profession, in your career, that has, has, has those tipping points that suddenly people go, oh, do you know, that it, that's what it is? I think the firm statement that healthy gums don't bleed is, mm. um, is a good one. I think the media advertising that was done uh, with Corsidol, where there was a... Um, a drop of blood coming from a very attractive female's eye and it just showed you'd be concerned if another part of your body was bleeding, why not your gums? Um, we know that uh, gum disease is one of the most common diseases globally and I think targeting it and recognising these early signs can prevent a lot of heartache later on mm-hmm. during the years. Thinking about patients and what should they, what the good What's good gum health look like for patients? You know, I think often when I'm speaking to my patients, it's just a demonstration, a mirror. That's what it is. But what do you envisage when you're talking to your patients that you see what what is good good gum disease? For me as a a prosthodontist in training, um, gum 
good gum health is the foundation for everything. So we can't do anything uh, if the foundations are uh, dodgy. So if you're building a house, you want there to be solid foundations. You don't want to build a palace on that. Uh, good gum health also helps your um it helps your smile. So the things to watch out for are things that, uh, you know, if your teeth are a little bit loose, if they're starting to drift, if you start to notice little dark triangles at the base in between your teeth. Um, but I think the earlier signs are better to notice, which is bleeding gums and plaque accumulation around the teeth. Often you find patients are almost a little bit worried to brush if they bleed, they stop them. It's like if you've got a cut on your arm, you don't you don't rub it. Yeah. So having that conversation, or whether it's with your, your hygienist, your therapist, your dentist, with our dental nurse within my business, we've got a dental nurse who sits down with everybody and goes through the oral hygiene. Because yeah. it's, even if you've got really good oral hygiene, having someone like an ambassador say, oh no, when, you, when they're down, at, I don't know, having a coffee with their friends, oh, got a little bit of bleeding, oh, just brush a little bit more in that area, can really be almost like an ambassadorial of oral health role. Um, I think one of the real problems that we have there is that often if people do get bleeding when they're brushing, it causes them to ease off. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually the wrong thing to do. The bleeding is an indication that they haven't been brushing well enough. And what they actually need to do is brush more. Yes, it will create a bit more bleeding over a period of a few days, but then it should settle down over a period of three or four days if it doesn't, that's an indication that really they should be getting along to the dentist, get back to their dentist and hygienist and get things professionally checked out because it's a sign that there's something going on. But one of the, the worst things about gum disease in a way is that in general it is entirely painless and it is only that little bit of bleeding in the early stages of gum disease which actually... Uh, gives an indication that something's going on. After that, things tend to settle down until we get to the size of Shortish says, where um, you're starting to get loose teeth. And really, by that stage, it's getting nearly too late to be able to do anything. Um, so it's a, it's a quiet disease that goes along in the background, and that's a, a real reason for having regular checkups with your dentist, take their advice on how often those should be, and getting your gums checked out, having a, re a regular scale and polish. It really is important. But the most important bit, of course, is the work that you do at home, your own daily oral care routine. And I think it's uh, really important to find out if you're doing it right. I think with a lot of my patients, and I'm sure yours, you know, they're brushing their teeth and it's so frustrating with them because they're not getting the results and they're putting in the time and they're doing their best, but they're, they're just not brushing in the right way. And there are videos on YouTube that you can look at um, that'll show you how to brush your teeth. And don't be afraid to ask your dentist or ask your dental hygienist, am I doing it right? Because a lot of us aren't. Um, and that includes dentists and hygienists. We just need to spend a bit more time at it and really learn how to do it properly. And then we won't get any of these diseases. It's entirely preventable. It's quite shocking even when we look at the basics of brushing. I mean, dentists would recommend that you brush for at least two minutes twice a day. Um, various surveys show that the average time on brushing is just over 45 seconds. So we're doing less than half what we should be doing. And that's where it's also very important that children are taught at an early age that right length of time. Actually, we probably don't need two minutes to brush children's teeth. But the habit that's developed in those first 
first two years is the habit they're going to keep for a lifetime. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't brush long enough. Lots of things that we can do to help that length of time of brushing, whether it's electric toothbrushes with timers on them that will buzz every 30 seconds so that you know that you're doing the two minutes, through to using egg timers, lots of apps around um, that will play a song for two minutes and, and keep children motivated and interested. Establishing that habit early is really very important. And the second thing there, when we, we come down particularly to looking at gum health, is the importance, particularly for adults, of cleaning in between their teeth with interdental brushes or floss. Um, can be a little bit of a fiddle to learn, but it's well worth the effort, and that's really going to help stop gum disease progressing. Exactly. I always say, floss the ones you want to keep. Yeah, absolutely. I... Something I've learned since, I've learned as a parent, you know, you, you go through your life and circumstances change and things. At, at the end of the day, with a w- wonderful six-year-old and eight-year-old, you often they've gone to bed, the house goes quiet, and you think, oh, right, I'll sit down and do nothing now. But it's actually maybe changing when is suitable for you to brush your teeth. So obviously we brush once in the morning when we get up for two minutes, and then another time. So I'll brush my teeth with my children so they're going to bed. So we're actually using it as a game and it's it's behavioural change stuff. It's because by the time they've all gone to bed and we've got the dishwasher packed and school's ready for the next day, you just want to sit down and you go into bed and it's it's the short, it's the it's the thirty second toothbrush, you know? Whereas actually you could do the two minutes very easily just after bath time or with bath time and it you're it, it we there's there's the shoot 'em up games that you can do on your phone now. It make makes such a big difference. Um, Very important to get that last thing at night brushing in because um, not just for gum health but for dental decay as well, the saliva flow slows down at night. So it's really important to get all that bacterial plaque removed from the teeth before you go to bed. And then the one other occasion really... Is it before breakfast? Is it after breakfast? Mm. Is it during the day? There are significant um, differences with various different countries as well as to uh, social habits. We've always, in the UK, tended to be morning and evening, Mm -hmm. and the jury's out on whether it should be before breakfast or after breakfast. Um, But in very many countries, it's once a day when you shower. And there's a real problem there in trying to change that culture into twice a day and particularly getting that late at night brushing in. So a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. I think it's important as well. Last thing at night is, is the most important time to brush, but then uh, particularly for children, trying to make sure they don't have anything after that time as well. So any sugary drinks be limited after you brush your teeth. So brushing your teeth and then that's, that's it done. You often find that the mouth is the gateway to the body. So you, we're often, when we're talking to our patients now, you're starting to think, if you've got some gum disease issues, is that going to be linked to systemic problems? Is there any heart issues? Is there any diabetic? Is this a diagnosis? You know, you, you're using diabetes. It can be a, a fact that you suddenly get gum disease. Is there a diagno- diagnostic stuff? What should patients be looking for when they go to the dentist, when they chat to the dentist? I think the it's very important and actually it's a very good motivator for patients. As we've said earlier on, gum disease is quite quiet. It goes on in the background and you can get to the stage of nearly losing teeth um, before there's a problem. Now, most people these days don't want to lose teeth. If we were talking 
in the years gone by when National Smilement started, then there was an expectation that by middle age you were going to lose your teeth. Fortunately, that's gone. Um, but we do need to look at that. And one of the great motivators is the links to systemic disease, that uh, it's been proven that there's a link between heart disease with diabetes, as you mentioned, Ben, and that's a two-way link, because you're more likely to get diabetes if you've got gum disease, and you're going to have worse gum disease if you've got diabetes. Cardiovascular disease, um, for pregnant mums, um, poor pregnancy outcomes, preterm births. So there are lots of areas there, lots of connections uh, between gum health, which is a it's a chronic inflammatory disease, and other chronic inflammatory diseases elsewhere in the body. A lot of work going on at the moment to try and prove how these links work. Uh, but the ones that we're really sure about are the, the diabetes, the cardiovascular disease, even goes through into premature ageing. Um, if you've got high levels of gum disease and, and tooth loss, you're more likely to develop uh, dementia early and uh, frailty early. So lots of reasons for looking after those teeth. I think before we used to think that it was the bacteria, because for those who don't know what, what gum disease is, it's the bacteria um, that gets stuck around your teeth um, it's uh, they set off inflammation reactions and that inflammation reaction just starts to eat away at your bone and your uh, soft tissues. So what we thought what it was uh, the links between diabetes and cardiovascular disease was the bacteria getting into your blood system um, and attacking it that way. But we know now that it's inflammation. So the inflammation that comes from this chronic attack on your system can make your diabetes worse. If you have cardiovascular disease, that can worsen your periodontal disease. And in the same way that if you've got diabetes, that's one of the markers that we look for as a dentist that makes you more at risk of, of gum disease. So I think the message really to get across is if you do have diabetes and if you do have heart disease, it's worth going to your dentist and being really careful about your cleaning and your flossing. I think that goes up to the point that Nigel said about pregnancy as well. As soon as if you are pregnant, come to the dentist, you know, get us to check things out. But so we're then getting your into the journey and the habit forming of the, the children before they're even born coming to see us. Um, very important to look at pregnancy there because, um, you know, we, we talked about the pregnancy outcomes, but actually... Most people have some level of gum disease because we're not all perfectly cleaning the plaque off our teeth. If you're pregnant, the hormonal changes that occur during pregnancy means that the effect of that uh, little bit of plaque that we're leaving on our teeth is magnified and you're more likely uh, to get gum disease or a flare-up of gum disease in pregnancy. Uh, and as a result, you should be going along more frequently to your dentist and, and really it's a time to take extra care of your oral care regime at home as well. So often... Um Pregnant women, if they if they notice a little bit of bleeding before they came, became pregnant, they'll notice a lot more bleeding after they've become pregnant. And again, it's just a signal to maybe get something checked out. I suppose it's it's reflecting how healthy are you, because you know yourself more than we as a dental professional ever will. So you're looking at the are you a smoker? Are you having a look at factors? Are, are you high? Is it a stressful period of your life? So how is your almost immune? Is it you're just thinking and, and taking a step back? What other factors can affect the gums then? What are the systemic factors? I think you you mentioned the most important one, which is smoking. Um, mm. And also, it's worth watching out whenever you're smoking. Sometimes the nicotine can um, 
constrict the blood vessels so you don't actually get that bleeding on brushing sign. Uh, whereas we know that smokers are up to 12 times more likely to have gum disease because of the effects on the gums. Uh, so if you can give up smoking, it's the best thing that you can do for your gum health and your probably your health in general. Uh, I think that's the, the most important thing that you can do for both your body and your mouth. Yeah, I agree. So if you actually look at this, um, four out of five people under 35s have bled from toothbrushing over the last year. This is more than compared to over the over 65s, which is only 32%. Is that because we're noticing? Is that I, I think this is about exactly what we're talking about, that the, um, the bleeding is a sign of early gum disease, which you're going to get when you're younger. Um, by the time you get to over 65, the gum disease that you've got, if you've got gum disease, is going to be well established and doesn't cause the bleeding yeah. gums. Things are going to be happening on further down uh, in the pockets around the teeth. Um, so you're less likely to get the bleeding gums at that age, and I think that's really what's going on there. I think it's also important to mention that not everybody will develop severe gum disease. So we, like any disease, we have people who are genetically susceptible to it, and then we have other people who won't brush their teeth, won't floss, and for some miraculous reason, they will never get gum disease. Um, so the other doesn't mean you shouldn't be brushing and flossing. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be brushing and flossing. <laughs> you don't know whether you're in that small proportion of people. Yeah, or you could, or you could get some disease in later life, which weakens your immunity, and then all of a sudden, from going from perfectly healthy gums and teeth uh, to a very rapid decline. So it's worth getting the good habits and routines in place to support you throughout your life. Um, the other thing to say is that bleeding gums are reversible to a certain degree. Unless the underlying bone structure has been damaged, bleeding gums can be reversed. So just say that you go away on holidays, you forget your toothbrush, and after a week, you know your gums are going to bleed whenever you start brushing your teeth again. That's because they are a bit inflamed. If you brush your teeth um, for a next week, that, brush, that bleeding will go away and maybe forgetting their toothbrush is something that under 35s are more likely to do. Quite an important point there with the elderly population as well, because you can suddenly find things changing at that age as your, your manual dexterity perhaps gets less. Um, it might not be as easy to hold the toothbrush, and this is where some of the electric toothbrushes with chunkier handles come in, or, or you can get things to put on manual toothbrushes. Um, so people can have looked after their teeth religiously uh, throughout their life, have visited the dentist regularly, have never really experienced gum disease or decay, and all of a sudden, in later life, things start to fall apart. And that's down to salivary changes, a number of the drugs that people are on as they get older cause the mouth to become dry, which accelerates both uh, gum disease and dental decay. So it's really something to watch uh, at that age. There's lots of other things going on. There can be other things going on in, in life that you're needing to pay attention to, but it's certainly not the time to ease off from those dental care routines. In fact, it's a time where you probably need to be um, even better at them. Something that I found interesting from the study that the Oral Health Foundation and GSK did was that more than a quarter of um, people 
in the study uh, turn to mouthwash whenever their gums are bleeding. And mouthwashes are very useful, but it's kind of like um, kitchen disinfectant spray. If you've got a dirty work surface and you just spray it with kitchen disinfectant spray, you're going to reduce the bacteria, but it's still dirty. So the most important thing is to get in there, brush your teeth, floss your teeth, and then if you want to use a mouth rinse on top of that, it's really good for helping to control particularly nasty diseases. Uh, But the most important thing is to brush your teeth and floss your teeth and get in there and clean it. I think something that I often talk to my patients about is what actually is gum disease? You know, what symptoms? Because there's different stages. So at what, when do you feel for a patient it's reversible? You know, because we've been talking about different phases through our lives. When your, um, your teeth have just come through, you're going to get a little bleeding because the teeth are almost still erupting a little bit. My, my children have that. Mm. Um, but that settles down after the tooth come through and then it, it changes throughout the life. So, so what are the stages pressure of, of, gum, of gum disease. So I think it, the important thing to break it down is to inflammation of the gums or the soft tissues, so just the, the pink area that you see around your teeth. Mm-hmm. And any inflammation here is areas that are very easy to clean, and you can you can clean those with your toothbrush and with your floss. What would you look for as a patient for inflammation? We talk about inflammation, I've got an achy joint, you know? Yeah. It's- one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, so what symptoms is it? is it? So what we're looking for are uh, red, swollen gums, um, plaque deposits around the teeth, so that kind of sticky film that you can see around your teeth whenever you know it's not clean, um, and then bleeding. So red, red, swollen gums. What does plaque look like? 
just a white sticky film. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have seen it, you know, in some areas, generally on the tongue side of your back molars, or if you felt anything that's rough with your tongue um, on your teeth, that's probably a plaque film. Mm. So white, white sticky things that build up if you haven't brushed your teeth in a day or two. So is there anything you can do to test if you've got plaque on your teeth? Disclosing tablets are something that are great. Uh, You can get them online, you can get them on your dentist. And what they do is you um, pop a little tablet into your mouth and you swirl it around your mouth. And what it does is it highlights uh, in pink or purple, whatever colour you have, all the areas where you can see bacteria. There's always going to be a bit of bacteria in your mouth. Um, But what you shouldn't be seeing are these really dense coloured areas. And they're the areas that you know you're missing whenever you're brushing. It's funny that as a dental professional, we like to look at the really complicated things and all that sort of stuff. But over the last 20 years, I've gone back to disclosing my patient's teeth. Yeah. And it's, it's it, having that satisfaction of a patient coming through the door and they've got clean teeth. Whereas mm. six months ago, their teeth, well, you could, mm, you could taste them when they came through the door. Their old health, health was that bad. You know, the smell was... And suddenly, what's been that factor you've changed? It, it's... It sounds daft because obviously I, I'm a dentist. I like um, restoring teeth. I like putting sticky things on. But getting that gel out with that patient. I've got one patient in mind who was a doorman at a nightclub. Every time he came in, every time, without question, he'd need a, he'd need a root treatment. I've been seeing him for 20 years and your heart's like, you, you saw him on the list, you think there's going to be three hours of the work there. You know it's happening. He was having four or five cans of Red Bull every night because... And we sat down and said, look, let's change it, you know. And eventually he came back, Ben, I now understand what I'm looking at. And I felt, A, have I let him down because I haven't done that communication? What is the thing that changes that patient? And what is the factor? Because we'll we'll all have um, a member of the family who's more challenging to brush their teeth than somebody else. My daughter's a bit of a child. My, My son's obsessed because he's got his little thing, he brushes his teeth, and my daughter sw- follows him. But she's two years younger than him, you know? So she's following through the, the what we all do as a family unit. But there will be one person in your family, even if it's your your father, your mother, your, you, whoever it is. My husband, who only brushes his teeth for about 40 seconds. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what you do is the reward thing with the disclosing tablets and the <laughs> 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 But it's that time. But everyone can buy those disclosures. They are brilliant. They are. And, and we all remember how, how, as children having those. And you can diagnose yourself with the plaque. What is it there? Yeah. I've brushed it. I've spent two minutes brushing. Has it all gone? Oh, well, that's a good start. And particularly during this month, ask your dentist for some. Test yourself. Yeah. This is one month where you can just try it, make sure that you're getting the best oral health care that you possibly can. Brilliant. Uh, and this is what dentists want you to do during this month. And if you don't want, a purple tongue or purple cheeks. You can even use food dye on a cotton wool bud just around the teeth and have exactly the same effect and you'll be able to see it and cheaper. So nobody has an excuse not to do it. So what you're saying is we could do any colour we wanted to, technically. You could. You could use green food dye, you could use yellow food dye. Probably best right before bedtime rather than right before work, but... Oh, a really good tip. It's a, is it's a great encouragement to actually cleaning the plaque off afterwards. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of Vaseline on your lips. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done that with a patient and thinking, I forgot the Vaseline. <laughs> and they walk out. I think it's um, important as well to mention the role of your dental hygienist here as well. They're absolutely crucial in this healthcare team. They could, they're really 
geared up to spend a lot of time talking to you about your oral health, about your brushing and your flossing and finding uh, finding a dental hygienist that you can form a team with for a few years is a really good idea. I think looking at some of the the stats that came from the research by GSK and the Oral Health Foundation, that one in six of people say brush harder in the air, in the area that's, that's bleeding. Um, I really like that. But you've got to maybe have a chat to your dentist or your therapist or your hygiene nurse and say, is that the correct thing to do? Because you've got to make sure that once the bleeding stopped, you're controlling and doing good oral hygiene. So from a, a toothwear point of view, you can actually brush your teeth too hard and remove some of the enamel or the the um, the root surface of your teeth. It doesn't need a lot of force, but what it does need is good technique. So you don't need to brush really hard, but you need to brush right. And I think getting your dentist or hygienist to show you that um, and how you can get that bleeding to stop properly without really brushing away too hard is a good idea. It's even more concerning that one in five actually would stop brushing the area that's yeah. bleeding, which is exactly the wrong thing to do, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that, that's concerning. So we do need to brush it, but not necessarily harder. We just need to brush it properly, as uh, sure as that. Yeah. I think uh, what, Ben, you were talking about earlier of the stages is, so this is the area that you can stop it. But as it progresses, uh, as the inflammation goes down, it starts to affect your bone. And um, your that's where it stop, starts to, be get, to get irreversible. So the second that your bone starts to um, uh, get eroded by the inflammation, that's whenever you need the work of your dentist to diagnose it and your hygienist because that's a very difficult area to clean and you can't really do that by yourself. So I think once you've had the inflammation, the little red puffy areas, the gum bleeding, the plaque's all gone, what happens next? You know, we're talking about how does the pocket form around the tooth? What is the pocket? What does it look like for people? It's hard. It's hard even it's hard. for us to discuss. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's yeah. why it's often... It's difficult to, to describe it yeah. because you have to know the anatomy of the tooth. The tooth actually sits in a socket in the bone, and I think everybody would, would recognise that. But it's actually surrounded by a ligament, and it's at the stage that that ligament starts to be affected rather than just the gum, which is like like a little cuff around the uh, the top of the, um, the tooth root. Uh, once it goes beyond that into the ligament that's actually holding the tooth in. That's the stage that you're starting to move towards it being uh, irreversible. And once that ligament has gone, then the bone is exposed to the... It's basically the toxins from bacteria that are, that are eating into the bone. And it's a slow, insidious process. This doesn't happen overnight. The, there is a rapid form of it, but the, that's quite unusual. Um, but really, gum disease happens over a period of 15, 20 years before you get to the stage that you're getting symptoms. And this is the, the big problem. It's the sort of... It's the silence of... Um, what's going on and the fact that you're not getting symptoms during that period until you've got so much bone eaten away that the teeth actually start to move or, as Shorter said earlier on, drift. Uh, And by that stage, you can have lost so much bone that it's actually quite difficult for the dentist to do more than stabilise you. Yeah. 
And as uh, Nigel said, it can be very difficult to recognise because there is so much information. The gums stay puffed up and they say red. So even though you may have lost around maybe three to four millimetres of bone, your teeth look the exact same. And it's only after you get that cleaning that your gum goes back to a normal level with the bone. And you, that's where receding gums come from. So the phrase long in the tooth was actually... Uh, came from the fact that people would get gum disease and your gums would recede and that w- that's what made you long in the tooth over time. Yeah. So periodontal disease, gum disease, gingivitis, it's a real challenge even for dental professionals to discuss. So it's, it's for me, it's, it's why you need to visit us and visit the dental practices and say, look, h- how healthy is my mouth? How healthy are my gums? So how often should you be visiting the dentist? It's quite likely if you've got gum disease that your dentist is going to want to see you more often. They're probably going to have you on a, a two or three monthly recall with the hygienist to make sure that you're doing your home regime. But it's still important to say however often you go to the dentist, even if you're going every two months, you're going to be brushing 120 times uh, in between that. And it's that day-by-day cleaning which really is going to determine the fate of the gum disease. We can help. Um, by getting in there, cleaning what plaque's left, disrupting the plaque that might be hiding down in the pockets that you can't get to with a toothbrush. Um, but we can only help. The, ha- the answer really is in your own hands and the job and how good you do the job at home. I think it's time, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's time. It's having, especially once gum disease or periodontal disease has set in, the two minutes possibly need to be elongated because you're yeah. then brushing inside pockets. You're, you're, so what products can we use if you've got gingivitis? What, what, is it setting our gospel stuff two, twice a day for two minutes? Will that be sufficient? If you just for gingivitis, for the, just a little bit of inflammation, what, what, what's your thoughts? I think interdental brushing as well is really mm-hmm. important for, for gingivitis because generally we're pretty good at getting the, the cheek surfaces of teeth and the, the, the tongue surfaces of teeth or the palate surfaces of teeth, but getting in between the teeth is difficult. And if you can get into that routine uh, of flossing once every day or even once every two days if you do a really good job, um, you can stave off a lot of dental problems. Um, just before that, though, I, I don't want to, um, you know, the way we kind of emphasize there on attending if you've got gum disease. I think it's important to mention the fact that a lot of people aren't susceptible to gum disease and don't have gum disease. And they might need to attend their dentist every six months if they've got other problems or sometimes every year or every two years. Um, it's, it's very much risk dependent and your dentist will tell you and advise you how often you need to see them. With our patients, because one of my practices, which is strange to think that one of my practices used to be, um, is one of the prototype practices for the Department of Health, and we're finding 28% of my patients were on were greens. We were seeing every two years. Yeah. So it, it's working with your patients to look at those teeth and think, is my oral health really good? Brilliant. We'll now focus the NHS monies in my case, the NHS, on the patients who need to be seen. So they may actually need to come every three months. Yeah, exactly. So it's balancing that. I think we're evolving the way we... I think, I think the important thing to say is that it's a conversation between you and your dentist yeah. and they will look at what the risk is and how often uh, you need to go. And that needs to be a conversation that you both have together and then come up, uh, up with the... Uh, solution because the there's a danger in saying well uh, you know one in four of my patients only needed to come every two years oh 
I didn't go uh, two years. That's really difficult. Two years is fine then. It's really difficult. And actually, as you said, for many patients, they could be on three months. Yeah. Yeah. And it's often the patients who should be coming more regularly hear that that, that 25% of my patients don't. But the ones that who are really healthy, well, I want to come every th- six weeks if possible. So it's a real challenge we we fight. Mm-hmm. So I think with our patients, it's that: Do you understand your mouth? Do you you you're responsible for your 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 mouth because we only see you ten minutes every potentially twenty four months. But actually, it's that brushing regime at home because you're maintaining your hygiene, and also, can you understand your mouth? So and that's I think our job. The, the important thing is the more that you do at home and the more you're constantly taking after your teeth, you know, you're not snacking on sugars, you're not um, doing these behaviours that damage your teeth, you're going to save so much time and money from going to the dentist. Mm. Um, and again, it, it's, it, it's a partnership between you and your dentist. You know, dentists don't, they love to see you, of course, but if you don't need it, we, we would prefer to spend time with people who really do need our services. Absolutely. Um, so again, just the frequency of going to the dentist for your gum health will depend entirely on you. So I think pulling this, pulling this, the last point we've got to discuss is diet really in gum health. We're going to be discussing that later on in a a separate podcast, how diet affects the oral health of our, ourselves, but how can diet affect our gum health? So I think it goes back to the inflammation. I think if you're quite healthy in general and you're you're taking care of your teeth um, and you're taking care of your whole body, you're well. Do you know what diet and on diet and gum health? There's very it's, it's, there's very little causal links between there. There's something I was discussing with uh, periodontist. It's that balance, isn't it? Mm. If, you're, if your immunity's down, yeah. if, if you've got deficiencies in X, Y, and Z, that will affect your gum disease. But it's not if you eat if you eat this, yeah. it will solve that. It, exactly. It, it's, it's a hard m- one, isn't it? It's much less of a causal effect between diet and dental health than it is between diet and decay. Mm. But you, you, as Georgia says, you're really looking at. Um, maintaining your general health yeah. and if you've got a healthy diet you're going to improve your body's resistance mm. to what is an inflammatory disease uh, so it's really about maintaining good general health there are some trace things around that are, are thought to help slightly but nothing's really got strong links yeah. uh, so in I, terms I, of improving I think health. our closest link there is the whenever people used to have scurvy back in yep. the, the 18th yes. century you have this really red inflamed puppy we're not, gums we're not quite there it, yet even, <laughs> even if you go on a six month cruise these days they feed you with fresh fruits yeah. uh, you so. might, might have access to an odd orange yeah. 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 but I think it's that it's, it's back to systemic links it's back yeah. to the whole body are you fit and healthy mm. is, ev- is everything good so it's, a, it's a, maybe almost like an, an indicator and do you take care of yourself yes to keep our teeth clean, we talked about disclosing tablets as a great tool for keeping our gums and teeth clean earlier on. Is there anything else that you would recommend to your patients to keep their gums clean? I think if, you, if you've got gum disease, there are a whole raft of toothpaste out there that are specially formulated for gum disease. They've usually got some sort of antibacterial in to help control um, the plaque. But again, as always, I would say take your dentist's advice on, on what are the uh, best products um, for you. The key ingredient uh, in toothpaste is fluoride 
this is much more to do with decay than with gum disease. Um, and then you get additional ingredients in which can be for whitening, they can be for gum health, they can be for tartar control. Um, and really it's a question of having taking your dentist and dental professional's advice having a look at the individual products and seeing which one's likely to be best for you. The key thing is the frequency of brushing and the length of time that you brush for rather than actually necessarily the product that uh, uh, you, you, you're going for. But certainly if you've got gum disease, look for one of the gum health products and uh, that's going to be helpful. And try and go try and choose a low abrasivity toothpaste because if you are going to be brushing your teeth a lot more, um, it's it's good to not uh, scrub away your enamel with a really highly abrasive toothpaste, which are most of the whitening toothpastes. When you when I get lost, my my children tell me off for doing the supermarket shop. I'm getting lost in the supermarket. You got these big rows of different coloured, brightly coloured things and typical dentists, I'm picking things up and reading them and suddenly I've missed the opportunity to do my actual weekly shop. But how would you how do you know if you're using the right brush or the right toothpaste? Because I'm as a dentist and I look at some things and think, you know what? <sighs> wow, is it the right one? So what should what should patients be looking for? What should the general public be looking for in a in a toothpaste, for example? It's funny, we get asked this all the time by our patients and the answer that I always give is generally the one I get for free. Yeah. That 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 toothpaste. <laughs> true though, isn't it? <laughs> um I I think obviously not everybody can afford them, but if you can, the an electric toothbrush with the with a pressure sensor and with a timer is a really good investment in your oral health care. But you can do just as good a job with a normal uh, toothbrush if you know how to brush your teeth properly. So any toothbrush will do, but try and look up YouTube videos or ask your dentist or your dental hygienist how to clean your teeth properly. And then from toothpaste, the most important thing is fluoride in it. So, and then if you can get a low abrasive fluoride toothpaste, you're winning. It's actually uh, quite interesting. And uh, I mean, as you describe them, that dental aisle is so long yeah. and so confusing. And even more confusingly, if you go along as a patient with a gum health problem, the way that it's organized in most supermarkets these days is by um, manufacturer. So you'll have the various different manufacturers each have their slot and within their slot they may have a gum health offering. They're likely to have a gum health offering. Mm -hmm. But you've got to go from one end of the aisle to the other to compare mm -hmm. which one you're going to buy. Very difficult. Some supermarkets are starting to look at uh, moving them around. And it's very interesting as professionals, certainly when I moved to the foundation and started running a product accreditation scheme over 20 years ago now, my knowledge as a professional of toothpastes, constituents of toothpaste, what toothpaste could do, was very limited. And it's interesting to hear that it's probably not changed a lot uh, these days. Manufacturers spend fortunes on research, some very good research, developing complicated products. But I'm not sure that we always understand. So we're not necessarily giving our patients the, the best advice. And you are left in this sea of products. But it is 
talk to your dentist about what your specific needs are and there will be a toothpaste out there for it whether it's gum health whether you've got sensitivity whether you're looking at whitening whether you're looking at tartar control um, all these are, are, are things that are available and in combinations and then we've got the the total care ranges of toothpaste which do everything for all man um, and some of those formulations are very sophisticated and have an awful lot of research behind them but it is a question of looking my recommendation in practice before I moved to the foundation was anything you like the uh, taste of yeah. so long as it's got fluoride in it anything that'll make you brush more yeah I think it's the when I'm your mouth changes over for when your teeth first come through to when you my my grandpa God rest his soul, died a couple of weeks ago. He's 99 years old, you know? So his mouth's changed all the way through. So the toothpaste he started off with might not have been the one he ended up with because you'd like to think that was... Well, that definitely has changed. So take your dent, take your toothbrush, take your oral hygiene tools to your dentist and ask them, is this the right one for me? Mm. What and can I change? Particularly when it comes to interdental cleaning as well. Mm. So whenever you're younger and your gums are... Your teeth are more tightly together floss might be the best way to clean your teeth whereas we know that if there's any gaps uh, interdental brushes are a wonderful way just to get everything out in between or whenever you have braces you won't be able to floss your teeth because you've got train tracks across your teeth so you're going to have to use interdental brushes or something called super floss um, so again, the product that you start off with might not be the product that you end up with. And with interdental brushes, if you have gum disease, that can change as well. If we're used to a red brush, it might be, you know, moving up to a yellow brush or a blue brush uh, in a couple of years' time. So just a constant relationship with your dentist. And like you said, bring, them in, bring your products in and say, are these the right ones for me? I think one of the challenges that we have in the UK is that we don't start with any form of cleaning in between the teeth at an early age. Um, so we get a very low... Um, interdental brushes are really something of the past 20 years or so. Um, to any great degree before that, dentists and hygienists were routinely recommending flossing, but a very, very small uptake, probably only about 5% of people actually using floss on a regular basis. It's a fiddly technique to learn, but it does work. Whereas when we look at countries like the US, they start their kids on flossing. And it's back to what we were saying earlier on about the length of time of toothbrushing. I think if you establish that habit, part of what you do when you clean your teeth is clean in between them early on. You're much more likely to get that going through into later life. To introduce things after habits are established is so much more difficult. So and with that, I believe we're almost out of time. This is all terrific. I think we've covered some really useful things today and I hope you, our listeners, have been able to take away some great information about the importance of gum health. I'd like to remind everybody that they can learn more about gum health by visiting the Oral Health Foundation's website at dentalhealth.org. As it's National Smile Month, we could also do with your support in championing good oral health. Visit our website, smilemonth.org, for more information about our charity campaign and how you can get involved. And a huge thank you to Dr. Nigel Carter and Dr. Sir Shertool for being with us today. I'll see you both next week when our podcast moves to focus on diet and how it shapes our oral health. Another big thank you to GSK, who kindly sponsored this podcast. Without their support, we wouldn't be here recording this today. I'm Dr. Ben Atkins. Thank you for tuning in. We'll look forward to hosting another Oral Health Foundations podcast next week. Goodbye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 